great future. We're talking real money. Well, if it's Friday, it must be the Q&A day. Hi, welcome. I'm Don. Glad you could join us here for the podcast uh, where your questions get answered. And those questions are those that get spoken at TalkingRealMoney.com, which is the best way to ask questions. You just go to TalkingRealMoney.com, the website, click the contact form, and there's a little microphone button, and you can record it on your computer. And computers these days, the the newer ones, tend to have pretty good, pretty good microphones, uh, particularly Apple's. Um, but good USB mics are inexpensive, and they're kind of the future of communication given that we're going to do so much face-to-face stuff, you really need a good mic anyway. So get one, and then it makes your participation in the show sound even better. And we appreciate that because we're a sound show. But what we do is uh, every week, I go through the most recent questions. I just take them in order. Those that have been recorded at TalkingRealMoney.com and uh, try to get, try to answer them as best I can without a lot of prep. I, I usually look at these the same day I answer them, usually within an hour or so. So let's get started with today's very first question. Hello, Tom and Don. This is Joe in Texas. Thank you for taking my question. I have about $191,000 in a S&P 500 mutual fund, U.S. PRX, which was originally at USAA and then transferred over to Victory Capital. It's in a regular brokerage account, and expense ratio is 0.15. My question is, can I transfer the USPRX over to uh, my Swab account, which I also have a brokerage account at, and then once there, sell it and immediately buy SWPPX, which is also a S&P 500 mutual fund, uh, which only has an expense ratio of 0.02 without incurring any kind of capital gains and having to pay capital gains taxes. Look forward to your answer. Thank you. Death and taxes. Darn things are both unavoidable. Capital gains taxes are pretty much unavoidable. Um... And that is a a relatively expensive, as you know, S&P 500 fund. Never was a big fan of the USAA funds, and I think that was part of the reason why they were sold to Victory, is uh, they just never really caught on because they weren't anything special and they were a little more expensive than they needed to be. So uh, I think for future contributions, go with a less expensive S&P 500 fund. But if you're going to move them, you're going to pay taxes. If you're going to move them, now bear in mind, the difference is not great. It doesn't make it worthwhile to pay all those taxes right now. But what you might do is a little tax planned selling. And everybody should have a tax plan for selling anyway. So you might want to have a selling plan where you can sell X amount before kicking up into another bracket or just a little bit every year and move that into a new fund or even better. An S&P 500 eaten. I wouldn't even go with this. I don't know why I'm saying I'm letting you get away with the whole S&P 500 thing. I need to stop you. Total market. You should not. The S&P 500 is not the market. It is a big chunk of it. But those little companies out on the periphery, those are the ones where the greatest percentage change have happened over decades. 
have happened over decades. I mean, if you look back to the 1920s, you'll see that the gains in small cap stocks far exceeded those for the larger companies or the total market. So um, I would have a total market fund, even one like those from Avantis, that, uh, the ETFs that tilt more towards value like AVGE. So um, that's what I do. I just gradually do it. Thanks for the call, the question. It's not really a call, is it? And uh, please send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. I can't tell you how easy it is. It's actually easier than making a phone call. And it sounds better, like this. Hi, Tom and Don. Zane from Rochester. I'm trying to break down Advantis's AVGE, which is actually an ETF of 11 other uh, Avantis's uh, ETFs. So how many holdings in total does AVGE actually have? I can't readily find it on their website. Could you help me out? Well, speak of the devil. Here's AVGE again. And you're right. It's a fund of funds. So they tell you which funds they have in the fund, but they don't tell you how many stocks they have in the fund. And that's not an easy number to get exactly, if you have to calculate it, because there's some overlap between the funds that are in the fund. So a, a, a total equity fund is going to have some small in it, but they're going to try and overweight small with a small. They're going to try and overweight value with small value. Uh, but you can get pretty close. You really can get pretty close just by looking at the numbers for the total U.S., the total international, and the emerging markets. That's going to tell you just about how many total stocks you have in this equity portfolio. And according to Avantis's numbers, you have almost exactly 9,000 stocks in AVGE. There are 2,300 in the U.S., about 3,300 in the international, and about 3,400 in the Emerging Markets Fund. Add them up, about 9,000 stocks which is about the number that you get in most total market index funds. So I think that's a pretty accurate number. You own about 9,000 stocks, which means you are incredibly well diversified. If one or two or 10 or 100 companies all go broke at the same time, you're hardly going to feel it. Unless one of them is Apple. And even then you're hardly going to feel it because you've got so much else in the portfolio. So uh, you're well diversified. Well diversified. That one was fast. Uh, again, talkingrealmoney.com. Send your questions in. And here is our next one. Hi, longtime listener here. I really enjoyed learning a lot from the show and appreciate all that you've given back to the community through it. I have a question about charitable remainder annuity trusts or charitable remainder uni trusts. We have a lot of highly appreciated stock from years of an employee purchase plan with a company. The fair market value is quite high and the cost basis is extremely low, um, pennies on the dollar. We have a donor advised fund where we give our charitable donations from. So having an inclination to give in the future is something that um, is part of our long-range plan. We're thinking of doing the Charitable Remainder Annuity Trust or Charitable Remainder Uni Trust with a portion of that highly appreciated stock. And it would give us then an income stream 
and we wouldn't have to pay additional state taxes on it. I haven't heard much about Kratz or Kratz, and I'm wondering if you think that's a reasonable way to look at diversifying some of that shares in the one company and yet still getting an income stream. I just would like to hear what you have to say about it. Thanks so much. Well, it's time for a little estate planning, and you are smart to be doing it right now with those appreciated assets. And uh, while it's wonderful to make money, yeah, sometimes paying the taxes can be a pain. And if you're going to be giving money like that to charity anyway, a charitable remainder annuity trust or a charitable remainder uni trust are both really good ways to go for a couple of reasons. One, you avoid taxation on those appreciated assets, and yet you get a deduction based on the value of those appreciated assets. Uh, now, the deduction won't be 100% of the amount you give to the CRAT or the CRUT, but you get a portion of it and you can generate income from those assets for the rest of your life, depending on how it's set up. You can also combine one of these trusts with a donor-advised fund and it gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, it, it can be a very good way to go. I would, uh, it, it, it really depends on what you're looking for. And this is something you probably need to sit down with an estate attorney and discuss anyway. But uh, there are some minor differences between the annuity trust and the, um, the uni trust uh, in terms of, of the additional contributions that you, if you're going to have other money, you want to contribute to it. The uni trust may be the better way to go because you can add more money. But, um, oh, and I'm sure you know this, but you didn't mention it. This is for everyone else listening. The money that comes out of the trust to you or your whomever you, you name as the beneficiary of those monies, those are taxed at your regular income rate. Okay. Uh, not capital gains rate, regular income rate. Whereas if you sold the stock, it would be at a capital gains rate. So you're going to pay at a higher rate, but you're also getting a deduction that could be pretty substantial, and you're giving to a charity, which you plan to do anyway. So these can be very, very powerful tools, but particularly when we're in something as complicated as tax and estate law, it's probably a good idea to have a good attorney look this stuff over. Uh, and and consult with you on it at least for a few hours. So, but yeah, great way to go. Absolutely, a hundred percent in favor. I think it's brilliant for those who got lucky enough to make a fortune on company stock, for example. So, good luck and uh, thanks for contributing to charities. And let's take one more before we get out of here. Hello, gentlemen. I have two questions regarding decumulation. You said multiple times that it is better to buy lump sum today rather than dollar cost average over the year because the market has more up days than down days. For decumulating, you say that your strategy is, or it will be, to withdraw the whole amount for the year in the beginning of the year, which will then be your budget. Shouldn't you decumulate via dollar cost average method rather than lump sum for the same reason as when you do the investing where uh, there are more up days than down days. My second question is regarding NHSA. 
I'm 54 and I have $130,000 in my HSA. Assuming that I will continue to remain healthy and not need my HSA, I plan on treating my HSA like an IRA when I'm 65, which is the age that you can make unqualified HSA withdrawals and pay regular income tax on it. Keeping in mind that a non-spouse beneficiary can't keep the HSA and must liquidate it the year they receive it and pay income tax on that full amount, in general, would it make sense to prioritize and decumulate the HSA over the traditional IRA and then so on and so forth with the Roth, etc.? Thanks very much. Well, you'll find that many times our decisions, our suggestions are made based on kind of a complex non-formula that tries to balance emotion with financial. Because, yeah, you're right. If you take the money out every month or every day, whatever the period is, you're you're likely to be in for more good markets than bad markets. So you're likely to, over a many-year period of time, make just a little bit more money on your money. However, the longer, the more we stretch out our withdrawals, the more likely we are to allow our emotions to try to time the thing a little bit. You know, we're tempted to say, oh, you know, well, I don't know if I want to take this February amount out. I I may want to, it just feels like the market's going to go a little higher. So I think I'll wait. We, we start playing a little mind game with ourselves. And the lovely thing about, the other lovely thing about taking it out all at once, one, you just set a date. Dang, that's the date. I take it out on that date. And But the other wonderful thing is that when you take it out on that date, you now know how much money you have to spend over the next year. With the other, if you're taking it out every month, your budget for the month is going to change. It's easier to plan for a year than it is for a month. But in terms of money, from a purely financial perspective, play in the odds, 75% of, of years the market goes up, you're likely to make a little more money if you take it out at another dollar cost averaging out method. And as for the HSA and where to take that, um, one, it doesn't come up a lot because not a lot of people have giant HSAs, although that's changing. Um, I would put the HSA in the hierarchy of withdrawals right there with taxable IRAs. In other words, it's after all your other taxable accounts, but before your tax-free accounts. And given that small detriment, and it is a small detriment, I guess that might kick it slightly ahead because at least an IRA can be can have an extended withdrawal for beneficiaries, but it's a tiny benefit. And again, it's our big brains. We like to think about every eventuality, and many of us are planners, and good for you for being a planner. It served you well, but uh, I don't think it's a critical issue. Sure, I mean, take it early. Uh, let the others ride because there are some minor benefits to doing that with the regular taxable accounts, the deferred comp and uh, qualified accounts. But do I think it's a big deal? No, no. But, you know, as with everything else in life, it really is personal. There are very few rules of thumb 
that are hard and fast rules. You know, it's like the 4% rule. It's not really the 4% rule. It's more like the 4% suggestion because it's got to work for you and your emotional makeup and your risk profile and all that stuff. And that's why we say if you're on the, if you're trying to make a big money decision, a big investing particular decision, uh, you really need more guidance than you're going to get in a two minute phone call or message on a podcast or talk show. I think we can be very helpful in this venue, but if you need more help, that's why Tom takes Saturday mornings and just spends time talking to people in a more detailed, personal manner. And if he's not available, then we have other great advisors who will do the same thing at Apollo Wealth. And the difference between us doing it and most others, not all others, there are a few that do this, but not many, is that most others are looking to this as an immediate sales tool. Their goal is to make you become a client, which feels uncomfortable when you're trying to just get advice. We decided long ago not to do that. We will not pressure you to become a customer. Promise. And you're not going to charge anything. We want to help everybody. Now, will people become clients? Yeah, because we're good at what we do. But do you need to? Do we push you into doing that? No, we don't. So take advantage of us. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click on Meet an Advisor, or call 800-386-3004, 800-386-3004. And in the meantime, Tom and I will be here on Saturday. We'll be together live on Saturday. We're together live most Saturdays, taking live calls. You don't have to record them. You can actually talk to us live on when we do our radio show in Seattle, which is from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time or noon to 2 Pacific Time. And the, the number that we use remains the same. It's 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. So remember, call on Saturdays. We love talking to you. And the nice thing about doing it that way is that we can have a conversation. So as always, we'll be here a whole lot doing something so important, and that is talking real money we hope you realize that the information provided on talking real money is for informational educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment tax or legal advisor we know a good one investing must always involve risk in other words you can and probably will lose money at times also as much as you want it no one can accurately and consistently predict the future so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring unlike many other programs that say something similar talking real money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.